may be seated this morning. We're so glad you're here, and we hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving this last Thursday and through the weekend, and we're just so thankful that God is still on the throne, that he's a God that will never leave us nor forsake us, that he's a God that gets involved in our affairs, and he's a God that loves us. How many believes that? How many believes that God loves you? Amen. I'm not going to hold you long here this morning, and that if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4, verse 22 and verse 23. John, chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, some of the most uh, famous passage of scriptures in the Word of God. We preach on them pretty regularly, and there are many different avenues, different directions that we could take. My message this morning is rel relatively going to be very simple, but if we'll obey it, I believe that God will give us victory. How many wants victory in the house? Amen. How many wants victory in the house? <laughs> Say it like you mean it. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 22 and 23 just literally says, but the hour cometh and now is. Say now is. It's right now. Not later, but now. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Have you ever thought about us seeking God, but have you ever thought about God seeking you? That's another message. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. May the Lord add his blessing to the word of the Lord this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the subject of worship being a discipline. The word worship is used more than 200 times within Scripture. And matter of fact, we are told, explicitly told, to actually worship more than 20 times in Scriptures. There is commands for you and I to worship God. The Scripture also reveals concepts of worship with words like praise, meditation, singing, prayer, and things of that nature all throughout Scripture. Even though there are references of 200 different times where we are to worship and 20, over 20 times when we are commanded, yet these phrases and these concepts of in, seen in the words of praise and singing and meditating, there are hundreds upon hundreds if not thousands of those references about how that we are to worship and to express ourselves before God. These are things that is connected to or that can lead us into worship, but they are things that, uh, that, may, that they are things that may be involved in worship, but they themselves are not worshiping themselves. Just for you to come in here and just sing a song does not necessarily mean that it's worship. But worship is deeper than any specific worship activity. Worship is not a mere response of my emotions, and worship is not even a response to the Holy Spirit like we think. When we come in here, of course, of course there are times, like this morning, you come in, you flop down, and maybe you're not in the best of mood, but when the praise band gets up, and John and Miranda begin to lead us in worship with their praise teams, all of a sudden, we are stirred in our emotions, and the music is a ministry tool that ministers to us, and out of our emotions, we begin to worship God. That's being led into worship. And then there are times when maybe they don't even get up and say a word, or even play a note on a piano or on a keyboard or on a, uh, on a guitar or not even hit a, a 
bang on the drums, all of a sudden the presence of God just comes into the room and the Spirit of the Lord will begin to move over the congregation and spontaneously people begin to worship just because of the felt presence of God. That's when God initiates worship. How many love those times of worship? They're very important and they're very necessary. But I want you to understand something. Our normal everyday worship is not just us waiting to our emotions to be stirred so that we can worship. And our everyday worship and our everyday lifestyle should not be waiting on God to initiate our worship. Worship, my friend, is a matter of our will. In matter of fact, worship is a decision that we deliberately make. It is a deliberate expression of devotion offered through song or praise or prayer or meditation or in some other way to where it's directed to God and his worthiness. Worship is the discipline of bringing the whole being, the whole body under the influence of the spirit of God, the word of God, and the will of God. Every time that we come into this place, we have to make a deliberate decision. I am going to bring my body under subjection to the word of God. And the word of God has commanded me over 20 times to worship him. And the Bible tells me that God's seeking for me to worship him. And the Bible says it's now time to worship him. How many understand that? That right now is the time for the church to be worshiping God. If you believe that, just lift your hand and praise and worship and magnify him and glorify him because the Bible tells us to. But even though that I come in here, I have to make up my mind. I have to set it in stone. I have to worship God. That is a decision that I deliberately make. I bring my body under subjection, not only the word of God where it commands me to, I have to bring it under the spirit of God. And as I begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, he leads me, he guides me, he directs me in all truth. He leads me, he prompts me in the way that God wants me to worship. And out of the response of me, then being obedient to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I worship him. I worship out of the will of God. That is worship in spirit and in truth. Worship can be summed up by saying that it's learning the ways of God. Now, I preach some a lot of different messages on worship. There are different types of worship seen in scripture. There are different words to describe worship. I'm going to keep it relatively simple because this is what the Holy Spirit has really laid upon my heart. Worship, I heard a long time ago as a young man, and I love it because it's, it's a phrase that has just stuck with me, and it's changed my life. I hope it changes your life. But the, I read or I heard a preacher preach on how that worship is the practice of the presence of God. Worship is the practice of the presence of God. And when I heard that, I thought how true it is because it is literally impossible for you to worship and not come in contact with the presence of the Lord. Did you not know that? If you want the presence of God, the key to the victory of obtaining and seeing the manifested presence of God is through your true worship and your adoration to him. I want you to understand how important it is for us as a body to learn the discipline, to hear the word discipline of worship. People who are full of worship, they're expressive, are they not? They praise, they sing, they celebrate, they pray. Oh, they cry, they lift their hands, they clap their hands, they shout, they dance, they meditate. But don't tell me I'm worshiping God when you're doing this. I'm worshiping in my own way. No, you're not worshiping. Worship is expressive. It shows. Can I have an amen? 
Matter of fact, the Bible tells you how to worship. It tells you to clap your hands. It tells you to dance. It tells you to shout. It tells you to lift your hands. Lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. There are biblical principles that are spelled out in Scripture of how that we are to worship. But worship is to be expressive. Out of my mouth, I will make known. We are to make it verbalized. Just sitting there with our hands folded and our heads bowed and say that it's worship. We have not learned the art of worship. Because I want to tell you, God wants to see our worship be expressive to his holiness. Can I have an amen? Can I have an amen? God wants to see that your expression is real. It's like sometimes when Jenny will come into the house and I'll look at her and she'll say, uh, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Watch out, you're in front of the television. Do you think she loves me? Or do you think she thinks I love her? Absolutely not. We have to understand that our worship has to be expressed. But true worshipers express themselves. However, there are times when we do not feel like praising or singing or celebrating or meditating. There are times when I come in here, I do not feel like praising the Lord. How many says amen to that? There are times that you don't even feel like praising the Lord. Some maintain that it's very hypocritical to worship at such a time. Well, if you worship when you don't feel like it's not real worship, I want to tell you that's when worship's at its best. Because the Bible tells us that we are to offer the sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips, giving praise unto his holy name, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. If the only time that I worship him is when I feel like it, then I will not be praising him very often. And if the only time that I really praise him is when I feel like it, it's going to be a cheap type of worship because there is sacrifice to our worship. There's hardships in the discipline. That's why it's called the discipline of worship. What we have to learn is that worship is not out of feelings. You don't worship just when you feel like it. Worship is not the response of my emotions to God all the time. I love those moments when I'm stirred. I love those moments when I'm edified. I love it when the hair stands up on my back. I love it when I get the goosebumps. But I want to tell you something, folks. If that's the only time that I worship, my worship is very cheap and it's not real and it's not authentic. Come on, somebody help me preach here. And I, I love it when the Spirit of God comes upon the scene and he begins to move across the congregation and as a result of his moving presence, I respond to God and I begin to magnify him. I love those moments when there's an outpouring. I love those moments when God just takes over the service. I love those moments when he moves and breathes upon me and edifies me. But again, I am not to wait for God's presence for me to begin my worship. I cannot just sit there. Well, when God moves, I'll start worshiping. And that is a mindset of a lot of people. Well, when I feel the presence of God, isn't it odd that we'll sit there and sit there and all of a sudden, uh, true worshipers bring the manifested presence of God. And then when God's presence is truly manifested, a lot of times people don't even recognize that he's there. But sometimes just out of mercy and grace, he allows you to see the manifestation. Though you've done no worship, you've not put any part in that service to make it happen. But yet on the flip side, 
all of a sudden then you want to join in after God begins to move. Well, let me tell you, that is new, not really. Uh, honestly, if that's the only time that we worship, then our worship is not really authentic because the truth of the matter is I'm not to wait for God's presence to bring me into worship, but my worship brings God's presence unto me. It's me coming in and making up my mind I'm going to worship him regardless of how I feel, regardless of how my week has been, regardless of what has happened, regardless of what kind of hardships is going on, regardless of how my mind is, regardless of how tired and fatigued, and regardless of the distractions and regardless of all of those kinds of stuff, I, Kent Miller, desire that to worship God and I'm going to make my worship known unto God and then when I do, God inhabits the praises of his people. God begins to manifest. Isn't that an ABC simple formula of seeing the manifested presence of God? You and I have a declaration where we are declaring that this is the manifestation season. There is no greater time or no greater way to get God to manifest than for the church to come alive in worship. Can I have an amen? Matter of fact, the psalmist said, in Judah, God is known. What does that mean? In Judah, God is known. The word Judah means praise. God is made known in praise. You get a church electrified with praise, whether they feel it, whether they don't feel it, I want to tell you, you get them coming here in praise. They might not feel it when they start, but before they finish, they'll begin to feel it. Can I have an Amen. Because in Judah, in praise, God is known. Matter of fact, they did not James say, draw nigh unto God and God will draw nigh unto you? Why is it that God always has to initiate the response for us to worship? Worship is an act of the will. I worship because I need to worship and not because I feel like worshiping. God is worthy of my worship, and as I worship, something begins to happen inside of me. Matter of fact, this is why praise and worship is commanded, and it's not an optional for the believer. Did you know you're commanded to worship? You have to learn how to worship. Now, everybody, I heard us, a man one time, or we were talking, and we were talking about how that God sometimes begins to command us not to be selfish, and how he tells us to die out to self, and how that we're not to bring attention to ourselves, and how that we're not to want vainglory, and all this kind of a stuff, but then some people will turn this scripture around and say, here's God telling us, uh, doing what he commands us not to do. He demands you to praise him, but he don't want you to have any praise. He wants you to be dead to criticism and he wants you to be dead to praise. But he commands you to praise him. Look how selfish the God that you serve. You see, this worship has nothing to do with God wanting, yes, God's blessed by it. Yes, God's moved by it just like anybody would be. But God's not commanding you to worship for his sake. He's commanding you to worship for your sake because he knows you need to learn how to come into his presence. It's not about him being edified. It's about him wanting to edify you. It's not about him being built up. I want to tell you, God lived without you, and he still can. But you can't live without God, and he knows it. So God is commanding you to worship, not on the behalf so he can exist or so he can feel a certain way, but he's wanting you to feel a certain way to where you can exist. So therefore, God's saying, I command you to worship because it's in that worship. You'll find your identity with me. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. Oh, I'm not going to get done with this sermon. I can see that already. I thought it was going to be short.
Psychologists say it's easier to act. Now listen to this. You got to get a hold of this. Psychologists say it's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than it is to do you to feel your way into a new way of acting. Now some of you are saying, I don't even have an idea what you just said. Let me sum it up by this. What would happen if you always acted the way you felt? If some of you was acting the way you feel right now, I would ask you to get up and leave because your behavior would not be conducive to the atmosphere of what's going on around here. Amen? Some of you wanting to slap that spouse that you got in a fight with coming to church today. And if you acted the way that you felt, you'd be slapping her or she'd be slapping you. Come on. Some of you come in here with some horrible attitudes because of what has happened to you. And if you're going to act out the way that you feel, we don't want you here. Come on, somebody help me preach. It's not hypocritical to act differently than the way that you feel. Matter of fact, we are commanded to do so. But it can be quite sinful to act the way that you feel. Sometimes you don't want me to act the way that I feel. You say, well, you're a preacher. I don't care. I'm human and I feel certain ways. And I have to bring my body under subjection just like the rest of you do. There are times I come to this place, I don't want to be here. Amen? Like the old joke says, the woman, the mother kept begging the uh, uh, son to go to church with her. And he said, no, I'm not going to church with those hypocrites. And da-da-da-da-da. And it went on and on. And give me three reasons of why I should go to church. Well, number one, God commands you to. Number two, you know, you need to go to church. And number three, I'm your mother. You need to go to church. And the truth of the matter is, and that well, one of them was, the, well, I goofed up the punchline. One of them was you need to go because you're the preacher. You're the pastor. And the truth of the matter is this. There are times that this preacher don't want to be here. It's like the woman that I knew that was very vocal when I was growing up. She was an older lady. And you'd go visit her house. She went to bed real, real early. And I don't know if she stayed up all night or whatever. About 5 or 6 o'clock, she was going to go to bed with the chickens. I mean, it was unbelievable how early she went to bed. You'd be visiting her. She'd come in. Okay, it's time for y'all to go home. She didn't care if you was in the middle of a meal. She didn't care if you was in the middle of a board game. She, it's time for y'all to go home. She didn't care if she hurt your feelings. And there are times when I come in here and I'm dripping. I've been in the presence of God and studying all week and the sermon just popped off the pages and I can't wait to preach it because it's in my spirit. I'm burning. I love moments like that. But there are times as a preacher when I studied all week, I've prayed, I've cried, I've wept, I've uncovered everything, I've looked at every note, I've read through the Bible, I've got in commentaries, I've got online, I've done everything I know to do to try to get something to resonate with my spirit and Saturday comes along and it's still not there and sometimes I just have to get up here and preach by faith. Without any feeling, without any emotion whatsoever tied to it, I just got to come up here and preach by faith and believe that the Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and whatever God's sending out to do, it'll do its work. Regardless if I feel it, regardless if it's in my spirit, regardless if my delivery's good, regardless if I'm all hyped up about it or not, I just got to preach by faith. I don't like those types of moments. I like when it's just dripping, man, and it's flowing, and you're, woo, it's good, and it's exciting. I like those moments, but there's times I get up here, and I want to say, y'all go home. I'm done. I don't even want to preach to you people this morning. And then vice versa, there are some of you sitting out there at times saying, I wished he would shut up. 
Man, he's preached a long time, 15 minutes, but it feels like an hour. Some of you don't want to hear a sermon. Some of you are tired. Some of you have those kinds of tendencies. I understand them. It's called flesh. I have the same thing. But what do we do? We have to bring everything under a discipline. Come on, somebody help me preach. Sometimes I don't want to preach to you no more than you want me to preach to you. But the truth of the matter is we do it anyway because we're commanded to and it's necessary and it's important for our spiritual survival. But listen to me. You've heard people say, well, you know, well, I thought it, I feel it, so I might as well say it and I might as well express it. That's not true. If that's the case, those of you that don't feel like going to work tomorrow, don't go and see what happens. When people don't feel like going to church, you know what they do? They don't don't go to church. But if they don't feel like going to work, what do they do? They go to work. They can discipline themselves in the natural, but they refuse to in the spiritual. And it brings death to a congregation. It brings death to an individual. When the priority of the natural overrides the priority of the spiritual, we find ourselves in great dilemma. And what we have to do is learn how to discipline the things of the spirit. There are, a lot of times these are people that live out of emotions instead of out of a life of disciplines. And if you'll follow their spiritual life, when it comes to worship especially, they'll be very moody. They'll be up and down. They'll be in and out. And their life will be like a roller coaster ride. Their worship will be nothing more than a reaction to how they feel. And, you know, one minute they're bouncing off the walls. They're running the back of the pews. And the next minute you couldn't move them with a stick of dynamite. And their life is inconsistent. And when that happens... It brings about a bad witness. Come on, somebody help me preach. It will not be a pure worship to the worthiness of God, but the worship will be wrapped around the way that they feel, and their feelings will dictate to them their style and their energy of worship. So their worship is initiated through self-design, and it is centered on self and the way that they feel instead upon the focus of God. My worship should not have anything to do with me. My worship has everything to do about him. It is he is the object. He's the one that is worthy of my worship. So their worship is misdirected. It's not in spirit and in truth, but it's only in emotion and out of feeling. And guess what happens? God's presence is not manifested, and then they're wondering why. You know, Jesus did not say, say, worship when you feel like it. Matter of fact, there was a man that's been in and out of our church for years, and and I love him, he's a great man, and, and um, I haven't seen him in a long, long, long time, but for years we've been trying to disciple this individual. He'll come in, and boy, for the first three or four months, he'll be so excited, hallelujah, you can just, and he'll energize a, a church, hallelujah, glory, and he's just full of energy, full of worship. But all of a sudden, after three, four or five months, it's a pattern in his life, all of a sudden it'll turn on him just like that. And then he'll keep coming and he's down, he's quiet and everybody's, I wonder what's wrong with so-and-so. What's happened to him? What's going on? And he's all upset because the church is not getting into the worship like he is. And then he begins to judge the church and not being spiritual. Goes, it's the same old cycle over and over. And then he'll get out of church and he'll go to a different church or he'll get out of church. A year, two years may pass, he'll be right back, same old cycle. This has went on for years and years and years and years and years in his life. But I want you to understand something. Jesus did not say worship when everybody else is worshiping. If that's the only time that you worship is when everybody else is worshiping, then your worship is all about the feeling and the atmosphere around you instead of being a pure worship of your individual expression to God. 
And another thing I want you to understand is God did not say worship when the atmosphere's charged. When it's dead, when it's nothing moving, when there's no kind of feeling whatsoever, when the, 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 the sky seems to be brass, when absolutely you, you feel like, man, this is lethargic. This is, this is just a time of, to go home. We've missed something. When we feel those, the only way that you can break through those kinds of service is when people say, hey, it's time for me to put on my praise garments and it's time for me to magnify the Lord outside of my tomb, inside of my tomb. It don't matter where I'm at. I'm the praise, the name of the Lord. Can I have an amen? Jesus did not say, love your enemies when you feel like it. When Jesus didn't say, hey, do good to them to despitefully use you when you're having a good day. Amen? The issue is not a life based on feelings, but is one that is anchored to biblical action and biblical behavior and mainly of all biblical principles and disciplines. Did you know that behavior transforms emotions, bringing them under subjection, but emotions sure contaminate behavior. Too many Christians are trapped under the rubble of the weak. No doubt about it. The scars and the, uh, the hurts that go on and may occur through your life in a week, the load of difficult decisions, the financial loss, maybe a relational loss, maybe the guilt because of failure or weakness in your life. For so many, the spirit man is alive, but he's barely alive at the end of the week. Matter of fact, he's breathing, but he's not real healthy. He's on the bottom of the personality structure. He's under... Uh, He's, uh, he's uh, underperforming. And a lot of times, uh, it creates a carnal mind and we become weak. He then, therefore, will be more likely to accommodate flesh and self. When you come in here all beat up and you're dead and you've had a rough week and everything's went bad and everything is just all kinds of distractions, if you're not careful, it's going to be a lot more easier to accommodate the flesh man than it is the spiritual man. Be honest. Amen? And then you know what happens. We are more prone to give away and be ruled to our emotions, be ruled by our emotions, and most likely will manifest patterns of temper, depression, anxiety, unforgiveness, restlessness, fretfulness, doubt, unbelief, criticalness. We'll analyze everything, be analytical of everything because our focus is on our set of circumstances instead of the object in whom we come to worship, which is God. But these same people can come to church, down, heavy laden, and all of a sudden feel the fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit, then what happens? The spirit man begins to be revived a little bit, doesn't it? And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad. It's kind of like a, a life of Saul and David, is it not? David, we play his harp, and Saul, who was vexed by an evil spirit, he would come in with his soul vexed, and when he'd hear the music of David playing, it would smooth his soul. And it would minister to him and edify him. And everybody says, isn't that what that's designed to do? Absolutely. Thank God for minute. Can you give our musicians a great big hand who minister to us? <laughs> Amen. It's important. Music is a language, man. And David would play that harp and that old vexed spirit of Saul would melt in the presence of his anointed, just playing the music. Amen. But the problem is, by the end of the week, after getting refreshed on that Sunday morning, we find so many people beaten down, barely hanging on, barely surviving. Look at the life pattern. Up on Sunday, 
Monday, you're a little strong. Tuesday, you begin to lose more. Wednesday, you begin to, by Friday, you're depleted. That seems to be the life pattern of most of the church world today. And let me tell you, folks, if the only time that we got victories on Sunday, we're in trouble. You're not going to make it. You're not going to last. If you don't have any more root than that in yourself, you're not going to make it as a believer, especially with the hardships and the trials that's fixing to come up on the earth in these last days. Come on, somebody help me preach this. That's all you got is for John and Miranda and that praise team to keep you alive or for the preacher to keep you alive through the preaching of the word or, or, for, the, or for the worship service to keep you alive. You're not going to make it. Come on now. Say, well, where are you going with this? Hang on and I'll finish my sermon here in just a moment. The spirit becomes discouraged in a lot of people and joyless, anemic and sickly, and it begins to grasp for the fresh breeze of that Holy Spirit again. And this is the routine of everybody, or, or most of the people in the church world today. Ups, downs, highs, lows, pits, peaks. And you never know exactly what their conduct or their actions are going to be because you never know how they're going to feel. There was an older man and an older lady where I grew up, and you dare not ask them how they felt because they'd tell you. And they'd tell you for two and a half hours. And by the time you left and the next day you seen them, you said, well, how are they still alive? And they'd done that for 35 years. Come on. They lived in torment for 35 years and never knew how to overcome torment. There are some of you that are living with torment and fear and every week it's a struggle to survive. And by the end, by when Friday comes around, you're dog paddling trying to keep your head above the water. Can't wait for another worship service to give you another shot of B12 to where you can survive. And God has got a, a, a solution for that. We have to learn how to rise up, take charge so that we can begin to think and act and feel as Jesus did. It's not Jesus our example. Are we not to imitate Jesus Christ? To be an imitator means you act like them. How many can always say that you act like Jesus? Come on now. Sometimes you got to act a way that's totally opposite of the way that you feel. You say that's hypocritical. No, that's being an actor. It's being an intimidator. I mean, an imitator of Jesus. Come on now. It's getting quiet in here. And how did Jesus feel and act and done? You know what? Jesus went to the cross seeing the joy that was set before him. How in the world can you look at the cross and say, "Woo, great joy. Now, you know how he done it? He done it in the Garden of Gethsemane where he brought on spiritual disciplines. Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. Prayed so intense that blood bursted through his skin and his blood vessels erupted and blood come through the pores and come down his, that's how intense his prayer life was. And yet Jesus looked to the cross with the joy that was set before him. And how could he do that? Because he's seen the outcome. He's seen that he would ever live to sit on the right of the hand of the throne of God to make intercessory for us. And he would be the captain of our salvation. Can you have an amen? He done it for you and I. But we have to learn how to live a life of spiritual disciplines. We have to learn how to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When we come into this house, we have to say, I've got charge over my mind. My mind's telling me to be tired. My mind's telling me to, be, to have fretfulness. My mind's telling me to be, to, to be slothful. My mind is telling, you know what? You've got, you have power over your mind. 
That's where you say, well, it don't matter what my mind's telling me. The Word of God is telling me to praise Him. The Word of God is telling me to love Him. The Word of God is telling me to adore Him. And then, therefore, I bring every thought into the captivity of Christ, and I do just the exact opposite of the way that I feel, and I do what the spiritual disciplines tell me to do. And when I do, I find the manifestation of the presence of God. Not only that, worship has to become a lifestyle instead of just an event. If the only time that I worship is on Sunday morning, I'm not going to have a very powerful worship. But you know what I do when I leave here? I have worship on Monday night. I have worship Tuesday. I have worship Wednesday. I have worship Thursday. I have worship Friday. I maintain a lifestyle of worship. Worship is not an event. It's a lifestyle that you create. Therefore, when I leave here with victory on Sunday, I don't have to lose it by Friday. And when I come in here, I don't have to pump up victory. Victory's with me, and I unite with fellow brothers who have the victory. And when we put that together, the manifestation of God pours out like we've never seen before. Because we are lively stones built up together for the inhabitation of the presence of God. Oh. Personal disciplines brings to mind the will and the emotions under the word of God. It brings the body under the authority of the word and the spirit. Then the spirit man comes alive and he gets strength. The spirit man that begins to rise up and it begins to shine. Now, if the only time that we shine is after a service, we're not walking out the disciplines of scripture. Then as the spirit man becomes alive through personal disciplines, the Holy Spirit begins to think through your thinking, decide through your deciding, and touch you through your touching. Isaiah declared that we are to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When are we to praise him? Yeah, when are we praising? When you when are you to put on the garments of praise? In the time of heaviness. Look that word up, it means in the time of depressing action. Can I just get off my notes or we're gonna be here too long today? That one of the greatest times for Mike Tidwell to worship is when he's pressed. When things ain't going good, (laughs) when hardship comes, put on the garment of praise for that spirit of depression that's upon you. Trade depression for the garment of praise is what he's saying. In other words, change clothes. You know how many times I hear, I change clothes five times every Sunday. I'll go in and I'll pick something out and go back in there and get you something that don't match. I'll go in and get something out. Can't, can't, she'll say. Go change. Kind of went through that a little bit. Now, you know, and most times she'll lay stuff out for me, but when she's busy and we've got grandchildren spending the night, you're an adult, dress yourself. All right, I dress myself five times that Sunday. And God is saying, when are you going to take off that old spirit of heaviness? Why are you going to allow it to dictate to you your behavior? Why are you going to allow that to destroy your life? Why are you going to live under the heaviness? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Some of you have got to make up your mind, I'm going to take control over my mind and I am going to declare the worthiness of God and I'm going to worship no matter what happens. And as I worship, Judah's going to be made known. God's going to habit my praise. I'm going to draw out of God. God's going to draw out of me. And I want to tell you, I don't wait for worship to come in in order to get the victory. As a result of my worship, I gain the victory. It's a prescription for victory. I'll close with this. When David in the book of Psalms, he said, oh my soul, why art thou cast down? The word cast down is a shepherd term and David was a shepherd, very well schooled and sheep, he understood the term and he examined his soul and said, so, so why are you cast down? David found himself in great depression. Then he began to ask himself, what's the result of this depression? Some of you need to ask yourself, why am I in where I'm at? Because that, this is not where God wants me to live. God does not want you to live under a depression. God does not want you fretting. God does not want you worrying. God does not want you sitting around being fearful. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Come on, somebody help me preach. You don't have to be cast down. You don't have to be cast out. You don't have to be downtrodden. You don't have to be the floor mat to the devil. So many people are just wiped out, man. Right now, there's more heaviness on the body of Christ than I've ever seen before. There's so much worry about the election. It's got me concerned. We're about to go through some dark, dark times if something don't change. If the pattern holds true of where it's at right now, you better get ready for some of the greatest persecution against the church that you've ever seen in your life. You better get ready for the end times. You better get ready for socialism, communism, and everything else. You say, boy, that ain't good preaching. You're not edifying us. It don't matter. That is not the rule of my joy. But however, this thing's not over till it's over, and I'm still believing in a miracle and a turnaround. I don't know where you're at. But even if there is a turnaround in all of that, there's still going to be hell like you have never seen on our streets. Our country is more divided than it's ever been before, and there's a heaviness. There's a depression. There's darkness. There's a cloud of oppression over us. I have felt it. I have battled it myself. It's almost like hopelessness and despair has gripped America. How many feel it? You not feel that pressure? It's an oppression from the oppressor and the oppressor is principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. And I'm here to tell you, you have dominion and you have authority and you have power over the enemy and if God be for you, who can be against you? And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So quit fretting. Lift up your eyes. Look into the hills to where your strength coming from. Your strength coming from the Lord who made heaven and who made earth. My, 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 my. All right, I'm supposed to quit with that cast down stuff. I apologize. I lied to you. Have mercy upon your preacher. I just got wrapped up in something. Huh. 
I love that woman right there. <laughs> Cash down. The sheep would get out in the field and if the shepherd had not sheared it as of yet, the wool would get big and thick. And the elements of snow and ice and rain would get on it. And if the sheep was not properly structured to hold the weight, the weight of the wet wool and then saturated wool, the sheep would fall over and it couldn't get back up. It was cast down. And when you look at that term, cast down, it's tied to where Jesus talked about, don't let the cares of life rob you of you. It's like the cares of life pile on us and they pile on us. The hardships, doing the banking, doing the book work, going to school, going to church, going uh, to the grocery shop, doing the grocery shop, doing the laundry, fixing the car, paying the insurance, the, just the load of care. The cares of this life choke the word in us. We get so wrapped up in circumstances. The circumstances can't dictate to us our emotion. And before long, instead of not having a spiritual discipline, we become what we call insaturated, overindulged with the cares of this life, and we fall over and we can't get back up. And there's a second reason that sheep fall over and get cast out, overindulgence. They'll eat and eat and eat if they're in good ground, and a lot of times the shepherd has to move them out because they'll eat so much, they'll get so fat, they'll fall over and can't get back up. Quit looking at me like that. I'm teetering right now. And after today, we're having our Thanksgiving today. Monday, I might be cast down. You may have to come help me back up. But the truth of the matter is this. We're so overindulged with fleshly, carnal activity that we have no spiritual equilibrium. Indulged. Everything we do is evolved around self, gratifying self. And we take very little time set aside in spiritual disciplines to worship and to pray and to meditate. To fast. How many has it been the last time you fasted? Come on now. And David said, Oh my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you like you're the shepherd? Why are you becoming like the sheep? And yet in that same passage he said, But yet I will lift my eyes and I will praise him. For I shall see the face of God. And man, when you're cast down, start changing clothes saying I've had enough I am taking this garment this, uh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the, 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 I'm putting on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness I'm not going to let that old heaviness destroy me and that's where Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 rejoice evermore Philippians 4 and 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say recourse, rejoice. Let your requests be made known unto God. Hallelujah. With prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, he says, let your requests be made unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That God will bring peace when you begin to put on that rejoicing and that praise and that worship. What we got to do here today is we got to break through and we got to get a lifestyle of worship. This week, the last two or three weeks, ever since the election took place, I won't watch the news. 
Not telling you to do that. I just won't watch it. I don't want to. I do not want to listen to the prophets of Baal. The media is deceptive. It's brainwashing America. And if you can believe the media, you are going to be destroyed. I'm glad somebody feels the same way I do. They are catering to a spirit of Jezebel in the land. And I refuse to listen to their lies. I refuse to put on weight on my wool that I don't need. It's unnecessary for me to carry. You know my temperament, and I've told you before how I have to keep things under subjection. If I watch the news, so help me God, I will probably punch my television. I refuse to allow myself to get caught up in those things that don't matter. I choose to pick my battles. Come on. And so I've been getting on and listening to preachers and reading the word of God and praying and listening to the positive voices, listening to what the prophets are saying. And even if the prophets are missing it, I'm, I'm analyzing that, taking it to the scripture. I'm feeding my spirit. And there's not been a night that hasn't went by that the spirit of the Lord has hit me so heavy. I have interceded in ways that I have never interceded before in 30 some years. And don't even know how long. But every single time that that happened to me, something happened that has never happened to me in my Pentecostal experience before this few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit moved upon me and I could not quit from speaking in tongues and interceding. And I was so aggressive that I thought the aggressiveness may even be offensive to God. That's how aggressive I was. In my mind, I was praying in English, describing what I was experiencing to God and saying, God, forgive me if I'm too aggressive. I don't want to offend you. And yet the tongues was praying the will of God. It was praying utterances that is unknown to man. And we know that when the Holy Spirit prays through us, that he's praying the will of God and we shall have the petitions that we desire of him. And never before have I prayed in the spirit and with the language of English at the same time and knew both of them were going on simultaneously. I've never had that experience before. But every single time, all of that deep intercessory, that moaning, that groaning, that aggression, I thought I was gonna die. I thought I was giving birth to quadruplets. Seriously. I knew in my spiritual womb I was birthing something. Week after week, night after night, every single night of my life this has been going on. And every single time when I finally come to myself and wondered what is going on, I was in, I was in a worship experience like you have never, that intercessory led into worship. And it was, oh, glory to God, my magnify the supreme God. And it was just, Ways of worship that I couldn't even describe. Why? Because God knew the importance of the power of my praise, which was a sign of my belief and not my doubt. And that was a sign that I was glorifying him and not man in which I was praying for. 
I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm getting you out before 12 o'clock. Isn't that nice? I think it's up to you where you want this thing to go. Every single one of us go through those emotions that I have said and many others that we could, I, I can meddle in your business and start naming things. It's time for you to put that stuff down. There's somebody here today that's got an alcoholic addiction and you've prayed and you've cried and you feel condemned and you're wanting to overcome it. The Holy Spirit just told me Crucify your thought of being a failure. Crucify your thought that it has more power than what I have. Crucify the thought that you're a nobody. Crucify the thought this is the way of life. And start declaring that you are delivered through the name of Jesus and praise me for it. And I'll deliver you, saith the Lord. Your life's radically going to change if you'll do what I tell you to do. God's not here to beat up on a bunch of people. If you got failure, confess that failure, repent of that failure, and then start declaring and decreeing the blessings of God upon your life in Christ Jesus and start worshiping him and magnifying him and making him the supreme Lord of your life. And you watch God manifest himself to you. Right now, I want this congregation just to start worshiping the Lord. Just start magnifying him and say, Lord... Forgive me of not being a regular worshiper. For this day I make up my mind and I choose to have a lifestyle of worship. I will not just worship on Sunday morning in church, but I've made my mind that I'll spend time with you in worship every single day of my life. It won't be about what I like. It won't be wrapped around a certain song. It won't be wrapped around a certain ritual or routine. I will come before your throne empty and broken and I will confess my humanity to you, but I will worship you in spirit and in truth. Praise the name. I challenge every single one of you that's heard this message to make lifestyle of worship. Make your worship a lifestyle. Don't just make it a church thing, a church event. Learn to worship God, to magnify him. I I don't necessarily feel like having an altar call, don't know why, but I want you to do something. 60 seconds is all I'm asking you. And the next 60 seconds, give God one of the most radical expressions of worship that you've ever given to him. Would you do that? Radical. Come on, radical. Express yourself to God. Cheer him on, magnifying, loving, adoring, praising. Celebrate the name of Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given among men where you can be saved other than the name of Jesus. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the magnificent Savior of the world. Praise him, magnify him, glorify him. Woo! Can somebody just tap your feet with me? 
Can somebody just tap your feet with me? Can somebody just clap their hands with me? Can somebody just shout with me? Woo! God bless you. Your life's going to be radically changed. Our life is going to be radically changed. I feel it. With all the doom and gloom and the despair, regardless of how the election turns out, regardless of what kind of principalities manifest themselves, we are the light of the world. We're a city that's set on a hill. We cannot be removed. We are the restraining force of the Antichrist coming to the earth, the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand, we have power over the enemy. We can tread upon scorpions. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Have a life of faith. And in everything you do, praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.